Amen. Well, this morning we are going to continue our sermon series through the book of Proverbs. Uh, use the title, The Seven Deadly Sins. Remember, I, I told you that most Bible expositors and preachers struggle with how to preach Proverbs chapter 10 through 29 because those are the Proverbs you tend to memorize the most. They are these, these short little pithy sayings that are filled with God's wisdom, but they're, they're hard to organize uh, in a sermon. And so most Bible expositors will, will tend to preach through those chapters in a topical fashion. So spending some time last year praying about it, thinking about it, we decided that we would uh, cover the seven deadly sins. But it's going to take us eight weeks because I've got a Bachelor of Arts, not a Bachelor of Science. So, uh, so in your bulletin, you should see uh, three passages of scripture that were printed there. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we're going to read those passages of scripture as we prepare for our sermon this morning, focusing on death by greed. And so hear God's word this morning. The word of God reads in Proverbs chapter 11 verses 24 through 25. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. And lastly, Proverbs 28, 25. A greedy man stirs up, uh, stirs up strife, but... The one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would use it to convince us of sin in our hearts, to convict us. For those of us that need to be converted might be converted this morning. And all of us that need to be conformed more into the image and likeness of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray that you would do so this morning for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Everything he touched turned to gold. But that wasn't always his story. There was once a time when Everything he touched did not turn to gold, but as we read in Greek mythology about King Midas, we hear about how he showed kindness to one of the gods' friends. And so Dionysius comes to King Midas, and he, wish, he grants Midas a wish. And my, King Midas' wish is this, that everything that he touches would turn to gold. And Dionysius grants King Midas his wish. And at first, King Midas is excited because everything that he touched turns into gold. And his wealth continues to increase and increase and increase. But then something happens to King Midas. His belly begins to grumble and rumble. And he gets hungry. And as King Midas reaches for, his, for a, a simple piece of fruit, do you know what happens to the fruit? It turns to gold. As he reaches for a piece of bread, the bread turns to gold. And suddenly, 
King Midas is troubled because his wish has been granted. That everything that he touched would turn to gold. And what King Midas learns in that situation, that circumstance, is the lesson that we are to learn. Is that greed can be fatal. It can be deadly. Have you ever met someone like that, just metaphorically speaking? That was mythology. That's not history. That's just a story. But have you ever met someone like that, that it seems like everything that they touch turns to gold? I have over the years. I've had some friends. I've even even had some people that served in the church that over the years, it seems like they just have such an entrepreneurial spirit about them. They have such a business mindset that whenever they get a dollar, they think about not how they could spend this dollar, but how they could turn this dollar into a few more dollars. I've always, always been impressed by those people because when I get a dollar, I think, well, I can buy a sweet tea or I can buy an ice cream cone at Dairy Queen. But I refer you to last week's sermon about gluttony. (laughs) And so if you're like me this morning, at first I thought, I'm so glad that I'm not as foolish as King Midas. I'm so glad that I'm not tempted by greed. But last week, uh, two weeks ago, I went to the ARP General Synod. And we had to make some decisions about the minister's retirement plan and how those of us that paid in, let's say, about $150,000 in a retirement plan are going to be granted a buyout of about $14,000, $15,000. Suddenly, I began getting tempted by greed. How can I take that check and turn it into more money? But maybe money is not the temptation for you. Maybe you just saw someone this morning walk into the church this morning with a new coffee mug or a new turvis. And you have a cupboard full of coffee mugs and turvises. My wife is looking at me and saying, you went from preaching to meddling. And you think to yourself, ooh, I like that coffee mug. I like that turvis. I, I, I've got plenty, but I could use just... One more. Or maybe you're not tempted by coffee bugs or turvises. Maybe when you go out fishing with one of your friends this summer, you're going to be proud of your fishing rod until you see your friend's brand new fishing rod. And you think, I've got enough fishing rods for everyone in the family to go fishing. But I could use a fishing rod like that one. Or maybe it happens even within the sanctuary this morning. Some of you guys have noticed my brand new tie. You like it. And you think to yourself, I've got, I've got a, a, a closet full of ties, but I could use one more tie just like that one. Or maybe some of you ladies noticed someone's new blouse as they entered the sanctuary this morning. Why are we tempted thinking that we need just one more of something, anything that we have plenty of already? The answer is that, by nature, we're all sinful. And thus, because of our inherited sin nature, by nature, we are all selfish. 
I say that not to be rude and not to be mean, but hopefully to be encouraging to you, to be enlightening that that is the root problem with sin is that we are self-absorbed, we are self-consumed. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden that the root of all sin most theologians and scholars will say is the desire for autonomy, is self-ruling, it's for self-governing. Not that God would tell us what to do or how we are to do it, but that we could determine for ourselves what we are to do and how we are to do it. And so why is greed such a temptation for all of us? Because by nature we're sinful, and thus by nature we're selfish. Why is that important? As Alan Ross says, one's object of faith determines the direction of one's life. Where you put your focus, where you put your faith, where you put your trust determines the entire direction of your life. And so the reason why greed is one of the seven deadly sins, all sin is deadly though, is that it gets our attention and our focus off of God and upon ourselves. The Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us that every sin deserves God's anger and curse both in this life and in the life that is to come. And so why is greed so deadly? What's the big deal about it? It's that where you place your focus is where you're going to place your faith. If you place your focus upon wealth or upon money or upon stuff, then you're going to find that that is where you are putting your trust. And as one novelist wrote, the things you own will end up owning you. Because one's object of faith determines the direction of one's whole life. And so God, in the wisdom literature, in the wisdom of God, he comes to us this morning and he challenges us to embrace generosity for God's glory. Because in God's economy, you will reap what you sow. And so this morning, God comes to us in his word, in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of Proverbs, and challenges us to embrace generosity for God's glory. Why should we do so? I want to I highlight for you as we unpack these Proverbs together this morning, two reasons why you should embrace generosity for God's glory. The first reason why you should embrace generosity for God's glory is that take a look at the downside of greed. Take a look at the downside of greed that's highlighted in these Proverbs this morning. Take a look particularly at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, and Proverbs chapter 28, 25. And we highlighted this last year as we began making our way through the book of Proverbs that the Hebrew poetry uses a particular device when it's communicating God's truth. It's called parallelism. There are two, two lines that will be communicated and they will either further the thought that's communicated in the first line or they will contrast uh, the thought that's communicated in the first line. And what we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 15 and Proverbs chapter 28, printing your bulletin this morning, are what we call contrasting parallelisms. It's going to contrast simply the greedy versus the generous. And as it's doing this, it's showing us the downside of greed and thus encouraging us why we should embrace generosity for God's glory. So take a look verse at Proverbs 15, 27. It says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. But notice the contrast. But he who hates bribes will live. Look at 28, 25. 
Another contrasting parallelism. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Notice what it's doing. is It's, it's showing us the downside of greed by contrasting in these two proverbs the greedy versus the generous. That's the device that's used repeatedly throughout Hebrew poetry. But what do we want to focus on this morning in terms of the downside of greed? It's the pain that it causes. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says, One who gives freely yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. The word there that talks about withholding what he should give refers to someone who is so stingy that they won't even spend a dime on themselves. What's the downside of greed? That it becomes embarrassing because people begin to notice that we're such penny pinchers, not for stewardship's sake, but for selfishness' sake, that they will begin to wonder where do you place your trust? Because where you place your focus is where you place your faith. Because one's object of faith determines the direction of their life. And so what God is telling us in his wisdom is to embrace generosity. Because you see the downside of greed. It's embarrassing and it hinders you. But also it hinders you in your work and in your household and your relationships. Look at Proverbs 15, 27. It says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. This refers to the person who tries to cut corners in order to get ahead. Eventually, either your boss will find you out or law enforcement will find you out. And ultimately, it will not be to your advantage or your benefit. If you want to do an interesting study, do an interesting study on those who try uh, to rob a bank or try to, to rob uh, a convenience store. And what little bit of cash they may be able to take home with them. But in the long run, how much it will cost them monetarily for armed robbery. Last time I looked years ago, was somewhere uh, they may get $300, $400 cash in their pocket in the moment. But eventually it may cost them up $34,000, $35,000. And that was several years ago. I'm sure the, the inflation has inflated that significantly. What's the point? See the downside of greed. Then you cut corners, it's only going to cost you. And then look at Proverbs 28, verse 25. It says, a greedy man stirs up strife. One of the downsides of greed is that it causes fractures in our relationship. Trimper Longman says this, As the greedy push for more, they annoy and even anger others from whom they are trying to grasp the things they need to feed their desire. And thus fights break out. Uh, Jennifer noticed this in her own family last month when she went uh, to visit her brother and sister-in-law for their 25th wedding anniversary celebration. They were renewing their vows. Jennifer enjoyed spending some time with her, her nephews and her niece. One of her nephews is Caleb. He's about 17, 18 years of age. And Isaiah is about 10 years old. So Caleb and Isaiah were getting ready to go to a 
kind of a shopping mall, and Isaiah, who's 10 years old, forgot his wallet with his money in it. And when they got to the mall, Isaiah realized he had forgotten his money, and so he asked his brother Caleb, who's 18 years old, if he could borrow some money from him so he could buy it, purchase a toy. And Caleb, his brother, said, Isaiah, you know I'm more than willing to loan you money, but you know the rules. I'm going to charge you interest of 5%, and it's going to be compounded hourly. Caleb knew that they were going to be gone for about four to five hours and they wouldn't get back home. And he was hoping that whatever toy he purchased might uh, kind of distract him for at least a, a couple more hours. But what do you think happened in that, in that brother relationship? There was tension. There was tension. Why? Because there's the downside of greed. In God's wisdom, he challenges us to embrace generosity for God's glory because that reflects the character of God. Because the downside of greed is that it not only costs you personally, but it costs you in your personal relationships with others. So my question to you today is where? Where do you struggle with greed? Is it with your money? Is it with your stuff? Some of you might just be greedy for attention (laughs) and time. Some of us may be greedy to get more awards or accolades or experiences, vacations. Where are you greedy? And why should you fight it? As we take a look throughout redemptive history, what we're going to find is that there, there's communicated to us in the Word of God time and time again the downside of greed. And God communicates to us in His Word time and time again why we should embrace generosity for God's glory because there is a significant downside to greed that is always costly and at times deadly. We see the beginning of that greediness in the Garden of Eden. That Adam enjoyed a privileged position in the Garden of Eden. He was the crown jewel of all of God's creation. and He was called to be a steward of all that God had given him. He had dominion over all the animals and and all the, the wildlife there. But in his greediness... He saw the forbidden fruit and he wanted something more. He wanted his eyes to be open so that he might see things the way God sees things. In that greediness, what happened? He saw the forbidden fruit. It says he coveted it in the original language and then he took and he ate. And thus sin entered the world. But that greediness isn't just displayed there in the Garden of Eden. We see greediness displayed in the book of Joshua with Achan's sin. Right after chapter 6, we see the battle of Jericho, one of Israel's greatest battles, fought and won. Probably many of us learned the the song about how uh, Joshua fought the battle at Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle at Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. I always like singing because then Janet never asked me to sing in the choir. But we're reminded in... 
in, in that true story, how God told his people to, to, to march around the walls of Jericho and that God would cause the walls to tumble down. But there was another piece to that battle, is that everything in that town was devoted to destruction. It was holy war. In other words, God was going to show his severe judgment upon Israel's enemies. But what happens in Joshua chapter 7 is that when they get to the battle of Ai, Achan disobeys God. He sees a cloak that he wants. He sees some silver and some gold, and he decides to keep it for himself. And as a result of his disobedience and his sin against God, what happened? God's people are defeated at the battle of Ai. Joshua is discouraged. He goes before the Lord, and the Lord tells him to not be discouraged because there is sin in the camp. And eventually, God reveals to Joshua that is Achan that has sinned. And as a result of Achan's sin, he's stoned to death and burned. See the downside of greed? God's whole covenant community, God's covenant people were affected by his greed. Don't think for one second that your sin is solitary and isolated without having consequences in the covenant, be, the covenant body. The downside of greed is that it resulted in God's judgment against them. We also see the downside of greed in Gehazi's fouling up what, in the midst of what God is doing with Naaman, who's one of the... Um, higher ups in the Syrian king's army. Remember Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 is suffering with leprosy and he's told to go to the prophet Elisha in Israel and that perhaps Yahweh will heal him of his leprosy. Remember Elisha tells Naaman to go down into the rivers of the Jordan and and to dip seven times and then his, his leprosy will be cleansed and so it is. And Naaman comes to Elisha and he tries to give Elisha gifts uh, thus showing his gratitude and his thankfulness to Elisha. But Elisha wants the gospel truth to be communicated to Naaman that that his, his healing is in no way, shape, or form dependent upon the gifts that he's given God, but is purely as a result of God's sovereign grace in his life. But Gehazi gets the idea to, to, to go to Naaman and beg him for a cloak and a little bit of silver, something about that time, A little bit of clothes and a little bit of money could get God's people into trouble. The same thing happens today. And so Gehazi goes out to Naaman. And he asks Naaman for a little bit of, a couple of feastal garments, a little bit of silver. Naaman is happy to give it to him. But as as Gehazi makes his way back to Elisha, Elisha asks Gehazi, what have you done? At first Gehazi denies it, but then God shows his judgment upon Gehazi for his greediness. And Elisha says, the leprosy that clung to Naaman will now cling to you, Gehazi, and your descendants for the rest of your life. What's the point? See the downside of greed. See the downside of greed throughout redemptive history. That greediness results in God's judgment. We see it even more importantly in Judas, that he betrayed our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for just a few pieces of silver. And thus we see in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11, withholding from God's people the sale of their property. And what results from their greediness? 
God strikes them both dead. Why is greediness a big deal? Because it's sin. And every sin deserves God's anger and curse both in this life and life to come. So what is God trying to teach us in his word? To embrace generosity for God's glory. Why? Because we see the downside of greed. It fractures our relationship with one another, and it ultimately fractures our relationship with God. Which brings us to the second final reason why we should embrace generosity for God's glory, is that we not only see the downside of greed, but we see the upside of generosity. We see the upside of generosity. I want you to notice in Proverbs chapter 11 and Proverbs chapter 28 that there's a paradox that happens here. That in God's economy, the more you give, the more you get. The more you give, the more you receive, which makes no sense whatsoever. I remember one time after church, I got uh, someone came up to me after church and challenged me on my view, something I said before we took up the tithes and offering. I challenged the folks to, if they weren't tithing, to begin tithing. I said, you'll be shocked to see how your money lasts longer throughout the month when you tithe 10% of what you have to God. I had a, had a businessman come up to me and say, that's stupid. So I didn't make the rules. And they said, well, that makes no sense. How can my money seem more than less when I live on 90% versus 100%? I said, I don't know. It's just in God's economy, that's how things work. The more you give, the more you receive. When you're faithful and you're obedient, you'll see that in God's economy, generosity often determines prosperity. And so look at the paradox we see here in Proverbs 11. 24, it says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. You see the paradox? In God's economy, when you give, you receive. Look at Proverbs chapter 28. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. In other words, the one who finds their contentment in Christ is the one who finds that they're truly rich. The Apostle Paul echoes This sentiment in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when he says in verse 6, The point is this, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now notice that in God's wisdom he's not talking about work salvation. That if you give to God he's going to save you. Now that's not what's being taught here. But there is a principle that's being taught here is that you will reap what you sow. Now, don't believe for a second what the prosperity gospel teachers, preachers would tell you, that if you send, if you send us $100, God's going to send you a million dollars back in the mail. It doesn't work that way. But what you'll notice is that when you are generous and you embrace generosity for God's glory, there are far greater riches that come to you, one for the blessing of knowing that you're being a blessing to others, But you'll notice that God somehow brings sometimes peace to your life where there should be turmoil. And there will be spiritual riches that you'll find contentment more in what you have than what you can get. There are multiple ways that God can enrich your life as you embrace generosity for his glory. So where do you find the motivation to embrace generosity for God's glory? 
the answers in the gospel. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. What did he give? His only son. Why should we embrace generosity for God's glory? Because it reflects the very character of God. That we give because the greatest thing ever given has been given to us. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not because we deserved it. Not because we earned it. But purely according to God's sovereign grace. It's a true story about. A Christian school that was founded in India prior to World War II. A group of missionaries founded this Christian school in India that was founded for the sole purpose of reaching what were called the untouchables in India. There are a host of churches in England that funded and helped found that Christian school in India. And so there was a practice among some churches in England that every Christmas, the children of those churches in England would send to the little boys and girls of that Christian school in India Christmas presents. Typically, the girls were sent new dolls. Typically, the boys were sent new toys. And after this went on for a number of years, one of the doctors from the church in England One of the churches in England went to the Christian school in India and he distributed the new presents to the the little children there at the Christian school in India. The little girls got new baby dolls and the, the little boys got new toys. And as he shared with them the true story of the Christmas story about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation he offers us, he shared with those little boys and little girls the fact that not too far from them was a village full of little boys and little girls that had never heard about Jesus and that didn't have any toys. And so the doctor, who was serving as a missionary at that time, encouraged and challenged the little boys and little girls at that Christian school to consider, perhaps, sharing some of their old baby dolls and their old toys with those children not too far from them that didn't know anything about Jesus. And that doctor was going to go there with a group of people from the church in England, and they were going to share the gospel with those little boys and those little girls in that neighboring village. A week later, the doctor came back to the Christian school, and he was going to ask the little boys and little girls for the old toys and baby dolls that they might be willing to donate to these kids in the neighboring village. And so he had a box there prepared, and the, the little boys and little girls began following their, past the, the box. And what he noticed was that repeatedly, the little boys and little girls were dropping into the box their newest, most recent Christmas presents. The new baby doll. The new toy, not the old one. And so the doctor watched as this happened repeatedly, repeatedly, until all the children in the the Christian school had filed past him. And suddenly he looked at them and he said, Are these your new toys? And they all smiled and nodded their head and said, Yes. 
And the doctor looked at the little children and he said, but why? Why would you give your new toys? And one girl spoke up and said, sir, God gave us his one and only son. How could we not give God our best? Those little children embraced generosity for God's glory. Why? Because they understood the gospel. That for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, greed is sin. And it's deadly. So God comes to you in his wisdom today and he challenges you to learn his economy in life. That it's far more blessed to give than it is to receive because you can never, ever outgive God. Jesus is the living proof. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make your Son our vision. Make the gospel the lens through which we view wealth, health, life, and death. Though no matter what we have or don't have, we are all wealthy if we are in Christ and found in Him. Make us a people marked by generosity because we've understood your generosity in the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.